So um, I planned to give a talk that tonight that was a continuation of a series that I'm giving from the last time I was here on the Four Noble Truths, which as many of you know is a foundational teaching that really crystallized both the Buddha's awakening and also his teaching, and also is a way of understanding how to uh, live in this life, in this human life, with a quality of uh, understanding and uh, a certain spacious freedom, a certain ease with the inevitable joys and sorrows that blow through our house. That was the plan, anyway. Um, so that, so I was going to, this evening, the, the talk was going to be on um, the second of these truths. They're really ennobling truths rather than noble truths. They ennoble us in that they allow us to free ourselves from the more uh, difficult, painful states of being. And the second noble truth is really understanding what causes our unhappiness, what causes our anguish and um, dissatisfaction, this ongoing sense that there's something not quite right, not quite good enough, not quite, um, just not quite right, that the Buddha called dukkha. So, and then I came across a poem from Rumi, and I sort of threw everything out the window, as Rumi does. So I'll read it to you, and then we'll see what happens. So, so the Buddha talked about the cause of, of this anguish being really being the way that we're always in contention with reality. We're always in opposition in some way or other, wanting something that's not present wanting something that's not here, or resisting what is here. These two counterforces that we rarely are able to rest at ease with what is, because the mind, the egoic tendency of wanting something better, different, fuller, richer, you name it, and trying to get rid of that which is we're experiencing as a, as a difficulty or a burden or... Um, interference with uh, happiness and joy. So this is from Rumi, who has a different perspective on desire. As you know, a lot of Rumi's writing and poetry is about dying into his longing, dying into his passion for the beloved. He says, with passion... Pray, with passion work, with passion make love, with passion eat and drink and dance and play. Why look like a dead fish in this ocean of God? <laughs> so there you have it. That's Rumi's take on this theme, or at least one fraction of his 
voluminous poetry. Why look like dead fish in this ocean of the divine? <laughs> so some people might think Buddhists look like dead fish in the ocean of the divine. <laughs> Buddhism has a reputation, as some of you may know, for um, talking about suffering, which I talked about last time I was here. <laughs> But really the point of talking about suffering is to understand it so we can liberate ourselves from it. Not to dwell on it, not to fixate on it, not to drown ourselves in misery, there's plenty of that already, but to see how we cause that, see how we create that. Just look at the conditions, the tendencies, the habits of mind that we, that we live in, that we get gripped by. So as I was thinking about this theme of desire, longing, craving, grasping. There are many different ways you can talk about this uh, cause of our anguish. I was thinking about, thinking in the meditation, how much desire was arising for everybody here. So just, just recall what was happening in your meditation. Right? Was it 35 minutes of complete stillness and serenity and ease and divine embrace of what is. <laughs> Just perfect equilibrium and equanimity with your aching back and your restless mind and your angst about the things you didn't finish today at work and what's to come tomorrow and what about that relationship and what about what so-and-so said and how can my meditation be better? Why aren't I a better meditator? My meditation was better, I would be enlightened already. And <laughs> Anybody notice any desire in the meditation? Who was that person I met in the beginning of the meditation? She looked really cute. He looked really cute. Maybe at the break, while over cookies, we can hang out a little <laughs> and make this evening really satisfying. So, so the question is really, you know, it's, it's, the Buddha could have chosen so many different things to highlight what might be the potential cause of our suffering, right? There's a lot of things in our lives that we do that don't necessarily make us very happy. But he chose to focus on this tendency, this movement, this very deep habitual movement towards towards and away from experience. This wanting, this ceaseless grasping, longing, planning, desiring, fixing, creating, movement in time, in the future. Right? It's constant withdrawing, repelling, avoiding, repressing, rejecting that which we don't want. And it seems that that has some sort of logical coherency to it, that, that, that you know, if we follow that to its logical conclusion, it will all sort itself out and we'll finally at some point be happy ever after. Right? When we sort out all those conditions and all those difficult people in our relationship and in our family and at work, and then somehow we will be, we'll find peace. Right? I mean, we believe these things, right? Otherwise we wouldn't do them. 
but if we could look to the, the result, if we look to the proof of the pudding, then why are we all here tonight? You know, what is it that brings us here to a meditation center? Right? If our strategies had worked, then maybe we'd be sitting quietly at front of our own hearth. So something's up. Unless you were just bored and, you know, little entertainment here at Spirit Rock. So, so reflect on your own, on your own relationship to this, this, this tendency of mind and heart to want, to long, to desire, to crave, to grasp, to hold on to. How is that running in your life? How is that operating in your life? Is that working for you? You want to trade it in for something? Do we get lost in the yumminess of that which we're longing for, that we don't see that in the moment of the longing, there's a sense of deficiency, a sense of incompletion, a sense of lack, a sense of postponing our happiness until we find this, whatever it is that we're looking for. So, it's a funny thing to be in a human body, in a human mind and heart, and to be in this predicament. It's, it's part of being human, to long, to desire, to want, to plan, to create, to envision. And there's many, many beautiful, wondrous, exquisite creations that arise out of the heart's desire, right? the fact that Spirit Rock is here. It was a thought, beautiful thought and a wish in many people's hearts that wanted a place for Buddhism to flower in the Bay Area. And, you know, over you know, a couple of decades here we have this beautiful, flourishing Dharma Center. It came out of a, a sincere desire from many people's hearts, beginning with James Barraz back in 1974 when he met Jack in Boulder. Or when you listen to beautiful music, you listen to a Mozart concerto, and the desire that, that poured forth out of that creativity to create that beautiful music, or great art, or great literature, or great architecture. I was with some friends yesterday, and um, a friend of mine has been taking photographs of um, uh, the ruins of the Americas, all the way down to South America and the Incas and the Aztecs, and beautiful creations, beautiful manifestations of human experience. So we have that within us, this source of creativity and of potentiality and desire to create beauty and uh, sacredness and and then we also have that tendency which is not so creative, which is destructive, which is harmful, which causes 
pain to ourselves, to our bodies, to each other, to nations. If you look back, I remember reading H.G. Wells' The History of the World. Anybody read that? How many people read that? I guess it's an English thing. Anyhow, I thought it was a popular book. Anyway, he chooses to focus on, as most history books do, um, the history of the rise and fall of civilizations. It's basically a history of war and bloodshed and greed and conquest and colonialism and genocide and repetition over the last you know, three or four millennia. You know, tremendous suffering gets created when we act out through this force, uh, this very innocent, maybe starting from an innocent desire in our minds, coalesces into greed, into desire, into obsession, into exploitation. Right? We look back at the last century, the history of violence and genocide and what's happening now. Tremendous suffering. So what do we do with that? How do we work with that? How do we work with these forces in our mind? You know, we're so conditioned to look outside of ourselves. Right? The, the, the ego is externally oriented, externally oriented to seeking satisfaction somewhere other than looking into our own being. So we don't live with that instruction from Rumi, who's often referring to look to the one who's doing the looking, the one that's doing the seeking, the one that's doing the looking is that which we're looking for. We don't see that because we're externally oriented to where can I find happiness in this world, in, in my relationships, in the world of work and money and all of that. And there's a place for that. There's a place for skillfully interacting with this world, this life. But we forget the source of our well-being. It's already right here. Before we've even moved anywhere, before we've even done anything. And to the mind, to the ego, that's hard to grasp. How can just being with myself, being here in this moment, be enough, be sufficient? If you look to your present experience right now, is there anything that's missing or lacking? If you stay exactly with what's right here in the moment, if you don't go to your mind, if you don't go to the past, if you don't go to the future and just say, right in this moment, is there anything that's lacking? It's just sitting and hearing and seeing and sensing. But if we go to the mind, it's like, well, pff, this is pretty boring. <laughs> I'd rather be at the movies. <laughs> I could do with another cookie. Even though I had three and they were massive, I still could do with another one. And I'm kind of uncomfortable and 
wish my back pain would go away and do with an early night and wish I had talked to that person at the break. Oh well. <laughs> Maybe he'll finish early and you know we'll get a chance to chin chat, chit chat. Right, so if we go to the mind, there's a lot of restlessness. A lot of mm, the mind is restless by nature. It's always in movement. It doesn't know stillness, doesn't like stillness. That's why it gets very agitated when we meditate. Anybody get agitated when you're meditating? Creating a lot of thoughts? Anybody thinking when they're meditating? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little uncomfortable to just be with ourselves. You know, so many spiritual teachings are saying the source of our well-being is already right here. Happiness cannot be created because it's our nature. But when we look to our experience, like, mm, it doesn't seem that satisfying to me. Let's make something happen. Let's desire something. Let's fantasize about something. Let me see all the different ways that I'm lacking and deficient, and I can create a self-help project fixing myself. I can go into the bookstore and pick up 25 books about working on myself, even Buddhist books on working on myself. And then I'll really get somewhere. So um, the Buddha did fortunately make a, a distinction between um, the different kinds of desires. You know, there's a lot of desires in this world. There's beautiful desires. There's desires that cause great happiness, and there's desires that cause a lot of suffering. And maybe we can see that in our own experience. There are some desires that lead to the end of desire, that lead to a certain sense of satisfaction or spaciousness or peace. And there's desires that leave us, you know, like the pint of ice cream in the freezer, that don't quite ever fully get satisfied. You know, we finish the pint of ice cream and we're in the car going to Safeways getting in it some more. You know, or into the frozen yogurt. My housemate bought two pints of today. <laughs> so, so he made this distinction between wholesome desires, skillful desires, and unskillful desires. <laughs> so where do we hang out the most? <laughs> so, you know, we all have you know, many beautiful desires to, to be here, to wake up to be conscious, to meditate, to learn, to understand, to cultivate the heart, to let go, to be kind, to be compassionate, to, to be generous. And in all the different ways that those, those desires manifest, very beautiful expressions of the heart. And then we have the desires that aren't so uh, serving of our well-being. that tend to create a certain tunnel vision, a certain self-centeredness, a certain rigidity, a certain brittleness, a certain level of attachment.
so many of your parents here, another beautiful desire to create, to bring children into the world, to raise children in a way that it's conscious. It's a beautiful life of sacrifice. All, all the different ways that people want to relieve suffering in the world through social work and charities and a friend of mine started this love or supports this lovely charity that helps free uh, young Nepalese girls who are enslaved uh, sold because their families are so destitute so unbelievably poor that they sell their daughters um, into servitude into labor in different families and they can be released for a hundred dollars they can be freed for a hundred dollars so she dedicates a lot of her time to raising money to, to freeing these young, beautiful Nepalese girls so they can go back to school and live a life that they should be living. Hoping to do a fundraiser for that charity. So many innumerable projects. I remember once watching Paul Hawken, who's a great environmental activist, um, when he, he was on his book tour for his last book, uh, which I can't remember the name of. Is it Working for Good, something like that? Blessed Unrest, thank you. And he talked about, he, he basically he was chronicling all the different nonprofits working for social justice, for environmental justice, and basically doing good work on the planet. And he was trying to, to tally the amount, and he got to about two million different, different organizations around the world and was probably just scratching the surface. And the image that I was left with, he said, if we ran the credits, if we just had the name of each organization, not the work they did, which would be another exponential amount of credits, so if we just named the, the organization, like you, like you did on a movie, and you have the, at the end of the, the movie, whatever that is, the credits. credits, thank you. <laughs> it would, we would have to, we would sit in the movie theater for 80 days just to watch every single name of an organization that's doing good work in the planet. So there's a tremendous, beautiful outpouring of love and compassion and wisdom and clarity and generosity in this world. Beautiful expressions of this wholesome desire to bring light, kindness, love, care into the world. Beautiful expression of human life. And then there's the, um, as I mentioned, the, the not-so-wholesome desires. But even our wholesome desires can get a little off track. Have you noticed? You, know, you come to meditation, oh, I want to, I you know, cultivate some peace and kindness. And, you know, and you get there and you're with your breath and, shut up, go away, those thoughts. No, sick of my body. These people look really far too spiritual. No. <laughs> We start getting competitive, you know, with our fellow meditators. We go to a yoga class because we want to, you know, relieve the stress in the body and have some union with mind and body. And, and we're in this competition where they're the other yogis, you know, who's doing the best, you know, trikonasana or dog pose. Or... So, uh, you know, it's so easy for the ego to arise and... Uh, masquerade as this wholesome desire, but it sort of co co corrupts. And we find ourselves getting, you know, identified 
with our spiritual practice, with our spiritual pursuit. I'm going to be the best meditator. I'm going to be so damn spiritual. I'm just going to leave these people for dust. (laughs) Then they'll know how special I am. So I want to read this from um, The Onion. It's, uh, It's called Monk Gloats Over Yoga Championship. I am the serenest, he says. Employing the brash style that brought him to prominence, Sri Damarajai Bikram won the fifth annual World Yogi Championship Saturday with a world record point total of 87.3.6. I am the serenest, Bikram shouted to the estimated crowd of 20,000 yoga fans while vigorously pumping his fists. No one is serener than Sri Damanjai Bikram. I am the greatest monk of all time. Bikram averaged 1.89 breaths a minute during the two-hour competition, nearly 0.3 fewer than his nearest competitor, two-time champion Sri Salil Dahama Gupta. The heavily favored Gupta was upset after the loss. I should be able to beat that guy with one long tide, Gupta said. I'm beside myself right now, and I don't mean trans bodily. Bikram got off to a fast start at the Laza meet, which is a six-event affair. In the first competition, he attained total consciousness in just two minutes, 34 seconds, and then set the tone for the meet by repeatedly shouting, repeatedly shouting, I'm blissful, you blissful, I'm blissful, to the other yogis. Bikram 33 burst onto the international yoga scene with a gold mandala performance at the 1994 Bhutan Invitational. At that competition, he showcased his aggressive style at one point in, his, in the flexibility event, sticking his middle toes out at the other yogis. <laughs> I just got that joke. I've read this a long time. While no rules prohibit it, according to Yoga League Commissioner Swami Prabhupta, such behavior is generally considered un-Buddha-like. <laughs> I don't care what the critic says, Bikram said. Sri Bikram is just going to go out there and do Sri Bikram's own yoga thing. Before the Bhutan meet, Bikram had never placed better than fourth in any competition. Many said he had forsaken rigorous training for the celebrity status accorded by his Bhutan win, endorsing Nike's new line of prayer mats and reportedly dating the Hindu goddess Shakti. But his performance last weekend will regain for him the number one computer ranking and earn him new respect as well as for his coach, Mahananda Vasti, the controversial guru some have called Bikram's guru. My special training diet Bikram of, for Bikram of one supercharged, carbo-loaded grain of rice per day was essential to this win. <laughs> Gupta denied that Bikram's taunting was a factor in his inability to, to attain transcendental consciousness. I just wasn't myself today, he said. I wasn't any self today. I was an egoless particle of the universe. <laughs> that's from uh, The Onion, for those of you who are wondering where that's from. So, coming to a yoga studio near you. Can't wait. Bring it on. It's already here. So I got totally thrown off. What was I talking about? Competition. Competition. The corrupting of the ego. So notice what's happening as you listen to this talk. You know, what, what, what's the mind doing with this data? 
arguing, agreeing, disagreeing. So often what happens when, when we talk about desire, the inevitable questions come up, well, you know, what about if I want to go to the bathroom? You know, or I want to, you know, go to bed. Is that not allowed? I'm not allowed to have any desire. That's right, you're not. <laughs> supposed to be a dead fish in the ocean, apparently, or something. So what the, the important point, really, in this teaching is to understand that you know, in the human mind, desires are endless. Right? How many desires have you had today, <coughs> if you could count them? How many longings, how many wantings, how many cravings, how many desires, how many fantasies? That's a lot. Right? If you're human, if you're sentient, quite a lot. So, and mostly it's not a problem. They come and they go just like thoughts, like clouds passing through the sky. And then every now and then one will have a little bit more uh, Velcro on it and we'll get a little more, hmm, yeah, that feels good. I want that. Yeah, I've got to have that. Yeah, that's really important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on that. I need to get that. I'm not complete unless I get that thing, experience, meditation, moment, person, you name it, right? So it really, just like everything in this practice comes back to what's our relationship to what's arising? Everything is free to arise. Freedom allows, gives space for everything to be here. And where we pay attention is how we're relating to it. So most of those desires come and go. They rarely come to fruition. They're entertaining. Or not, or torturous, if you're trying to meditate. And you think desire shouldn't be happening. And then at some point, we get a little fixated on one or two or 50. Right? There's a little cartoon that... that this is like a meditator's... This must have been written by a meditator. This little, car, little guy in a dark room. Looks like he's meditating. This is from Subconscious Comics. And um, a little light appears in the darkness. Hmm, what's that? little desire. little, hmm, little something. Looks good. Right? And you have those moments. Oh, that's interesting. In the next strip, next section, I want it. I've got to have it. His eyes start bulging, salivating. If I don't have it, I'm going to die. Yes, he gets it. Yes, yes, yes. Falls over. Ah, bliss. The bliss of the momentary cessation of desire. Right? We think that bliss is from getting what we want, but it's mostly from the temporary cessation of that hungering, longing tendency, tendency itself. That is what we're seeking, actually, is the, is the alleviation of that compulsion, movement forward outside of ourselves, right? That is, that is the seed of dissatisfaction. 
So when we get that ice cream or that cappuccino or that chocolate or the kiss or whatever it is we want, that moment of fame, there's a sort of temporary abatement of that desire, that longing. It's very sweet. So he's, ah, bliss. He's back in the meditation room, darkness. <coughs> the light comes in the corner of the room. Hmm, what's that? And on it goes. That's our life. <laughs> right? We go from one thing to the next. Desire doesn't end, doesn't support the end of desire. It just keeps feeding on itself. So that movement that that, that, that cartoon points to is that is the when that relationship shifts from one of just noticing these harmless desires endlessly coming and going to suddenly getting fixated. We, we grasp it. I want it. I've got to have this lamp. It's so exciting. It's so special. I'm going to steal it and take it home with me. Or whatever the object is. Probably not the lamp. It's not very exciting, really. So for each, each of us, we get grabbed by different things. What is it that grabs you? What is it that, that creates that hunger in you, that longing, that thirst? The Buddha called, the, the, Buddha called, the, the word for this, this movement is tanha in, in Pali, which is the early Buddhist language, you could say. Tanha, thirst. Is that, is that a hunger, thirst. What, what makes you hungry, right? You have all these idle desires, and they're all, you know, whatever. And then some things, oh yeah, but this thing is really what I need to be happy. Right? This 401k, this book project, this funding for my foundation, this new I don't know, Armani dress or you know, aftershave or whatever. You know. I hear Vogue magazine this month. I'm a regular fan, as you can imagine, uh, is, uh, is featuring mindfulness. Mindfulness is the center point. So I hear, I don't want to spread rumors that aren't true, but I, that's what I hear. Mindfulness is um, the theme of the moment. It's like mindfulness is year. This is your moment. <laughs> and apparently there's, there's, um, there's, uh, someone was telling me there's an article on mindful eating, which I thought was quite ironic since most of the people featured in Vogue magazine are anorexic. <laughs> so hopefully that there is some relationship established between that discrepancy. I hope for the sake of our young teenage girls who believe that's how they need to be. Um, again, I've gone off track. What was I, what was I talking about? Yeah, I know, before that. <laughs> oh, insatiable desire. Yes, that. So, so to reflect on what it is that, that grabs you, you know, what's your top ten grabs? We all have them, you know, and they usually come from some belief, some sense of deficiency, that we lack something. You know, I'm not, I'm I'm in, I'm deficient unless I'm in relationship. Common theme. Yeah, relationship is a beautiful thing. The desire is a wholesome thing. But if it's coming from that place of deficiency and lack, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be the cause of a lot of suffering. Maybe yours is um, you know, 
who knows? I mean, it's just it's endless. Yeah. To be a different body size, right? to be bigger or smaller, yeah. it's a common one. To be more successful in my work, to have more recognition, more attention, to have that new Audi sports car. You know, start lusting on the freeway, you know, there it is, <laughs> salivate, salivate. So again, all these things, the, 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 it's, the object is not the point, it's the relationship to it. And you can go buy the beautiful new Audi, whatever it is that turns you on, but it's, what's important is, is the quality relationship to that object, or that person, or that experience. to the degree of attachment to wanting, having, owning, becoming, to the degree there's a level of pain around it, angst around it. So we live in this you know, funny culture where I think we have this sort of handicap um, compared to when the Buddha was around, because, you know, back in the day it was just, you know, farming and warfare and raising families and wasn't a huge media machine that, that sort of entrances us with a lot of deluded beliefs about what brings happiness, right? So we live in this consumer culture that is completely deluding us about what the source of happiness is, right? And I was, trying to, I was trying to find today how many ads the average American is exposed to. And there's some debate about how many that is. There's a number that goes around 3,000. We were bombarded with 3,000. The average person who watches you know, a lot of hours of TV and listens to the radio and internet and whatever, we're exposed to two or 3,000 ads a day something like that, <clears throat> which is quite a lot, since it's a lot of, you know, fabrication. It's a lot of fabrication <laughs> to be exposed to. So I, I, I was going to share with you some, since you didn't get enough today, <laughs> the 3,000, <laughs> I've got a few of my favorites. This is a, from a box of whiskers, and the, uh, it's a seafood recipe, but underneath seafood recipe it says, crave. Crave. Even our kitty cats are not free from this uh, culture of desire in the media. So watch out. So this is from um, one of my favorite um, foods, smart food popcorn. You know the one with the cheddar? It's, mm. You know where my desire goes sometimes. So it says on the back, it says, um, in its great wisdom, it says, smart food popcorn is it really smart to let yourself get carried away by a snack, to find yourself longing for it long before lunch, to be thinking about it at three in the afternoon or to be needing it during the nightly news? Of course it is. <laughs> After all, it's smart food popcorn we're talking about here. So why even try to resist the urge? You know you want it. You know how to get it. Now go out there and be smart about it. And then this is from, I think this is from Vogue magazine. 
that had an article on the seven deadly sins. So this is lust. Even the purest soul can't help craving a golden watch, red hot pumps, a fur handbag, and fine lace. And greed, there's a picture of women with a lot of gold bangles and bracelets and watches. When it comes to gold bangles and timepieces, you can never have too much of a good thing. In the funny world. And then I, the, the funny, I was teaching a class here the other day, and I got this envelope. Sometimes I get mail here, and so I was open. I was like, oh, I wonder what it was. And it was a, uh, an ad. It says, How to Meditate in Comfort. It was a good place to send a, you know, extended comfort seat pad. Use it on top of your favorite meditation pillow, bench, mat, or seating service to avoid any suffering. <laughs> So I'll leave it here for those of you who want to buy it. So it goes on. Oh, I can't bear to share the rest with you. So, um, you know, so it's important that we have compassion. You know, it's, it's another thing that happens when we, you know, hear about these teachings. The, the critic very quickly becomes uh, the inner critic, <coughs> the judge, whatever you call it very quickly becomes the Buddhist critic. Have you noticed that? As you, as you meditate, the meditating critic. Not very mindful. Didn't catch that breath. Not very kind. You've got desire going on. Desire's bad. You're a bad person for having desire. You're really wrong. Right? Notice that? That the, the critic that takes that up. So the point, of the, the, point, the point of all these teachings is really just to bring some awareness, to bring some illumination, just to get us looking at our own mind, our own heart, our own tendency, and to see, oh, is, you know, is, is this happening? Is this, where is this happening? Is it true? Does it, is this really true to my experience? It, does it make sense? Is it, is it really causing suffering? Maybe I'm really happy with my desires. What are you talking about? I'm having a great time. I'm satisfying as many as possible before I die. <laughs> What's his problem? Well, good luck. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a big nature lover, as many of you know, and um, being in this, this, in this beautiful springtime that we've been having... Um, it's been glorious. I hope, I hope you've all been getting out into the meadows and the hills and the valleys and the lush woods and the streams. And, and um, what I've noticed is that um, it's like I can't get enough of the beauty. You know, so, so in Buddhism, there's, there's, the, there's this very crude personality topology, and people fall into three basic tendencies. Either uh, so, I, I, every person has a sort of leading tendency of mind, either a more desirous tendency, more aversive, resistant tendency, or more deluded. And we sort of, we roughly, you know, we can sort of, if we pay attention, we can see we, we lean more to one than the other. Right? So I fall into the desire camp, right? So, so the desire types look to what's beautiful, they're, they're seeking pleasure. The, the aversive types are, are seeing what's, what's, what's not right, what's unpleasant, and somewhat avoiding it. 
and deluded types are somewhat blissfully ignorant. And they don't really <laughs> notice and don't really care. So if you're going to travel, travel with a deluded type because, you know. What bed would you like? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I read this bumper sticker the other day. This talk is going all around the houses. This bumper sticker that said, um, if ignorance is bliss, why aren't there more happy people? <laughs> I thought that was great. That was very wise. So, um, where was I? <laughs> oh, I was, right, so here I am lusting after the beautiful spring hillsides and the flowers. And I noticed it shifted from just enjoying, just pure delight and pleasure and harmless and uplifting and heartwarming and all of that, to I want more. How can I get more? You know, how can I do it? You know, squeezing time, canceling things. And so that, that innocent experience got, became filtered with grasping. You know, the, the Velcro on that desire stuck. And there was that longing, trying to maximize and, and grab and hold on to. Please don't turn yellow hills. Please stay green. <laughs> I do this every May. <laughs> Please stay green. <laughs> you think I'd learn after about a dozen years of being here. But... And so, and just, to, and just interesting to see, so... You know, because and, and I, and, I spend a lot of time outdoors in the wilderness, and I know whenever I go out with a predetermined idea of what I want or what I expect or what I think should happen, it just, it just completely uh, uh, interferes with the freshness and the vitality of that experience because I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a state of wanting. The state of wanting is not open-fisted. It's, it's grasping. It's holding on. I want this experience to be a certain way. It has to be beautiful. It has to be whatever. Grasping and peace, grasping and beauty, grasping and love can't coexist in the same mind, in the same heart, at the same time. I want to be happy. Well, we're wanting. I want to be have this evening with you to be really loving, <laughs> really <laughs> good <laughs> so I was noticing that I was biking I, so I've been biking out in the hills and biking like a madman like I go more more <laughs> completely exhausting myself riding and then I got it it's like oh yeah there's the grasping mind right there in the middle of a very beautiful wholesome experience there it rises it rises anywhere. It's the nature of this tendency. So we don't have to get rid of it. We don't have to reject it. We don't have to deny it. We don't have to judge it. We just see it. Oh, in the seeing is the release. In the seeing is the knowing. In the knowing is the freedom. You know, the truth sets you free. So the seeing, oh, look at that. There's the, the mind, the heart that's tight, that's grasping, that's holding on. Oh. That's suffering. Look at that. It, it's, you know, it's unpleasant. And there's release. And there just fades of its own accord. I'll talk about more the third noble truth, the cessation, the freedom, next time I'm here, whenever that is. <coughs> Two weeks' time, I think. <laughs>
so so that's the orientation of the practice. And that's why we the, the ground of the practice is mindful awareness. As we cultivate awareness, we see these tendencies, these forces of mind. The velcro, the wanting, the grasping, the or the similar the similar not wanting, the rejecting, the resisting, the pushing away. There's a, a New Yorker cartoon, and there's two dolphins out in the ocean, swimming in the great vast blue beyond. And one says to the other, "Well, you know, what are you? What's going to do it for you? What, what's how are you going to feel fulfilled in this lifetime? You know, it's going to make you complete." And the other says, "Well, I'm waiting for that retired couple from Kentucky." to come in a boat and come swim with me. That's what's going to do it. (laughs) So, so much to say, so little time. So I should just say a couple of other things. Um, Or shall I just tell a story? Story. I knew the boat would be for a story. (laughs) So... So as you're paying attention to this tendency of mind, huh? What motivates that tendency? The longing is in the longing, the 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 the, the, the craving, the desire is 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 triggered by pleasant feeling. It's called vedana, pleasant feeling tone, and the and and that that tendency to reject, to push away, to recoil, to re, to have hatred, resistance. It's triggered by unpleasantness, right? So we are moved by these these very subtle feelings of pleasantness and unpleasantness. So um, I was on. So I'll close with another um, uh, not so uh, proud story of my meditation history. <laughs> I'm looking at this cartoon a friend of mine drew about this incident, which I'll it'll make sense when I tell a story. So I was on this meditation course in um, Wales. And um, it, was, it was in my early days of practice. It was a long time ago. I just want you to know that it was a long time ago. <laughs> and um, it was a really difficult retreat. I wasn't really, it was like, I forget how long it was, a 10-day or 20-day, I don't know. Too long for me anyway. It was challenging, and it was really hard for me to be with myself and to do the practice. And so I wanted any excuse to get out of there. And um, my roommate got sick uh, with a bad fluey cold and I thought oh great I can go to the store which is about three mile walk down some very windy roads get some cold medicine because he needs that because I'm a good you know 
good caring person, you know. And then I can load up on chocolate and candy, because <laughs> in England these little village stores have a lot of candy because there's nothing else to do in. in so, um, so I got, and there was a howling storm, like one of these wild Welsh storms. I put my ring gear on and you know, and slip out of the, you know, see if anybody make sure nobody sees that I'm going, being a bad meditator. Leg it down to the store before it closes. Load up on chocolate and goodies and candy and all that stuff, and completely forget about my friend. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, desire, the, the, the fixated desire creates tunnel vision, right? It's a self-centered tunnel vision. All you care about is what I want, and I want to get it now, and to hell with everybody else. So there I was, fixated, and I get the chocolate. I'm totally stoked. Leg it back to the, the, the retreat center before it gets dark, and walk in, you know, covered in raining, my friend's sitting there, you know, looking all, like, hopeful for the cold medicine, and, Chocolate, I hear it's really good for, for colds, you know. Milk chocolate's really good. So um, I was humiliated, <laughs> embarrassed. And by the time the store had closed, and so anyhow, he, draw, he draws me this picture. I wish I could blow it up on a screen. So I'm, here I am in the store. I've got this massive coat with just full of chocolate, you know, just, just and, and the, the person behind the counter is carrying a sheep because that's, you know, there's a lot of sheep in Wales. <laughs> and, and all the store is, is cold medicine. <laughs> and I'm saying, uh, and I'd like uh, two more Mars bars and three more Cadbury's and, and the guys behind the counter saying, ah, oh, you'll be from the retreat center up the road, you'll be. <laughs> And his hat says, we sell cold medicine. <laughs> you have to see this cartoon. It's very cute. If you want to see it, it's, he's an artist, my friend. So I'll, I'll leave it up. It's very cute. So, um, so it's really good to have a sense of humor, <laughs> is the moral of the tale. And, and to not, you know, and to be, and to be, to, to be, Gentle with ourselves and to be light with ourselves and have a sense of humor and, you know, to not be hard on us. You know, to know that the, you know, these, these forces that these teachings speak to, they're very deep forces, you know. The, the, the third stage of awakening from a Buddhist perspective, uh, the third stage of awakening, which is very deep wisdom, very deep along the path, is only, it's only that point that these forces, are, you know, the second stage, they're weakened, the third stage, they're really released. Um, so to, 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 to bring a, a kind attention to these tendencies, to see when these desires are harmless, to see when they fixate, to see when you get caught, to see when they trouble you, to see when they cause harm for you or other people, and to see that the power of awareness is often enough. The seeing allows the release, like, like grabbing onto a hot coal. The seeing allows the release. As, see, as soon as we see something, we're no longer in its grip. Mindfulness is a great liberating force in that way. So, um, there you have it. So, I have a couple more announcements before I end. Um, our sound man, Andy McGuire, it's his 50th birthday yesterday. So... Happy birthday, Andy. So, um, 
And uh, just to say a couple of things about my work, um, I teach a lot here at Spirit Rock, but I also have a, um, uh, I do a lot of wilderness uh, meditation work in nature. I have a website called awakeinthewild.com, Awake in the Wild is the name of my book. It's about meditation in nature. So I have a various schedule of days and weekends. I'm teaching at SLN and teaching at Omega and I do a New Year's retreat in Costa Rica and just came back from Baja in Mexico as a kayaking meditation retreat. And I'll probably do some kind of retreat in the summer somewhere locally, Point Reyes or the Sierras. So um, if you're interested in that, Awaken the Wild. I have another website that's just going up called um, themindfulnessinstitute.com and I do uh, mindfulness consulting in corporations. So, and I have information about there about my coaching practices and therapy practice. So... Check those out if you're interested. And have a great week, and um, see you in a couple of weeks. Take care. If you could help us take your chairs, stack them, if you could turn right outside of Spirit Rock. <laughs>